And I didn't know anything about that softball team that's getting together. Uh, <laughs> will there be waivers where the church will not be held liable for hamstrings and broken bones? My, my, my. <laughs> Turning your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And as Mona said, it's good to have the children with us in the house today. Uh, takes me back to my childhood where every Sunday we sat with our families in church. And not in padded seats either. They were wooden pews. Can the church say amen? amen. <laughs> and the service was long. Building was hot. <laughs> and we learned how to sit still. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes, Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. The Bible reads, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So let me for a few moments talk to you on the subject of today. Salvation has come. Today, salvation has come. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for fulfilling your mission statement. You came to seek and to save the lost. And we thank you, Lord, that many of us in this room can say, you found us. You succeeded in reaching us. We thank you, Lord, for this story in scripture that reminds us, Lord, that no one is beyond your love. That the ones we may cast out and put aside and say there's no hope for, those are the people, Lord, that you make a beeline towards. And technically, Lord, that's us because we were without hope and without Christ in this world. But you, you were rich in mercy. You came near us and you revealed your son to us. We didn't choose you, you chose us. And then you've called us to go and bear much fruit. Thank you for this church that you called into existence. Thank you, Lord, for the mission you've given us to make disciples of Jesus. Thank you for the vision you've given us to experience, expand, and even explain your diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. Thank you for what you're doing in each heart. And now, Lord, as your word goes forth, would you give each one of us what we need? May we have ears to hear what the Lord is saying today. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As I mentioned, I grew up in church, but I was not a believer in Christ. I went to church, but I didn't know what church was about. I thought church was just a social gathering. And when people in my grandfather's church 
New Mount Carmel Baptist Church that he founded and my father helped him lay bricks in, when people started getting happy and filled with the Holy Spirit and they started shouting and clapping and singing, I didn't understand it. Matter of fact, I made fun of them, unfortunately. And the offering money that my mom gave me, I didn't put in the offering basket. Because the devil is a lie because across the street from the church was a candy store. Y'all don't hear me. You don't understand what I'm saying. That was just too much temptation. Lemon heads and now laters and sunflower seeds and man, a quarter could go a long way back then. And so there were many coins that didn't make the offering basket. And then when my grandfather passed away, my family stopped going to church uh, until many years later when I was a teenager, started going back to church. And once again, going back to church, I was lost. I didn't meet Jesus in a church. I'll tell you a little bit later about where I met him. But when I went to church, um, there was something that I missed as a young child and even as a teenager, and that was Sunday school. Uh, the churches that I went to, they didn't have Sunday school. And so we had to sit and we had to learn with the adults. Um, and so there was a song that I learned this week that I did not learn like some of you growing up in church going to Sunday school, especially for children. I learned about a song for Zacchaeus. I did not grow up with that song for Zacchaeus. And so that song says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Some of y'all know it. Some of y'all know it. A wee little man was he. He climbed up a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I am going to your house today. How many of y'all grew up singing that song? You grew up singing it. Now I got to tell y'all, this song offended me. I was offended by this song. Because we're teaching our children to put down short people. Amen. See, some of my short people, you know, amen. What is a wee little man? <laughs> a wee little man was he? What was that? That's discrimination if I've ever heard it. <laughs> but when we come to Luke 19, Jesus is making his final journey up to Jerusalem. For the past 32 years of his life, he would journey into Jerusalem like any other obedient Jewish male or woman in order to worship God at the Passover. So he would go up with the throngs of people coming in from the north of Galilee, going south and going up the mount to Jerusalem. So for 32 years, he would go to Jerusalem to eat the Passover lamb with his people. But on this final Passover, which some would say in his 33rd year, he would be the Passover lamb for his people. And I want you to see something in this text. There's a transition that occurs. Because if we don't pick this up, we might miss the story here. And the transition is this. The narrative begins outside. And then it moves inside. It goes from a sycamore tree into Zacchaeus' home. It goes from a public moment with the Lord to a private moment with the Lord. It goes from being outdoors, then it transitions into the indoors. So we've got to see that. And matter of fact, I, I see two points from that. The first point is outside, Zacchaeus conversed with Christ. He had a conversation with Christ outside, even in the public. But the second point is that this thing moved inside. And Zacchaeus went from having a conversation with Christ to being converted by Christ. 
Oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. He has a way of seeking and saving the lost. There are many routes he could have taken to go up to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, this is the only time we read where Christ found himself in Jericho. Now, he would preach about Jericho, but this is the first time we read of him actually being there. Doesn't mean that he wasn't there any other time, but this is the first time one of the Bible reader, writers said that he placed his feet in Jericho. And I have a strange feeling that he was intentional to, again, many routes he could have taken, but he was intentional to go through Jericho just like he was intentional in John chapter 4 to go through Samaria. Because there was a woman waiting for him in Samaria who needed to know of his saving grace. And there was a man who was waiting for him in Jericho who also needed to know of God's saving grace. God has a way of going out of his way to find you. He has a way of making this thing personal and up close. And on that day, he met Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus met him. So let's look at the first point. Outside, Zacchaeus converses with Christ. So we see in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And Jericho is one of the oldest cities of the world. It was the place that when the Israelites came into the promised land, that was the first stronghold that they had to conquer. As a matter of fact, later on, Joshua even gives this pledge because this area was so cursed, he would say that this city, this area should not be rebuilt. But men went on and rebuilt it because it sat in a fertile area. And there were many palm trees in Jericho, and uh, it was also situated near a trade route. So there was a whole lot of money to be made because people would often vacation there because it has such a stable and cool climate. And so many of your rich people would not only live there, but vacation there, which is why Jesus said that on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, there would often be thieves hanging out on the road because rich folk would often come back and forth from Jericho to Jerusalem because there was money in Jerusalem. Uh, in Jericho, excuse me. Uh, and so this place, Jesus decides to go through. And this happens to be Zacchaeus' city. And it's located 15 miles northeast <clears throat> of Jerusalem. But I want you to see something here about Zacchaeus. Uh, as Elder Bob just said in his introduction for the offering, you're going to see some unconventional things being done by this man. Uh, he's only found here in Luke 19. In just a few verses, we're going to see a whole lot about his character. And he's going to do some things that are not common. Because sometimes when we're pursuing Christ, we're going to be called to do some things that are not conventional. First thing I want you to see in verse 2 is that his name, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' name means pure. So when mama and daddy had him... They looked at their baby and said, oh, this is such a pure-looking baby. We're going to call him pure. It can also be translated as justified. So mama and daddy named their baby for what they expected and believed their baby would become, and that is pure and justified. But Zacchaeus, like a whole lot of us, including your pastor, got off path growing up. You know, the Bible says, train up a child in the way in which he or she should go. And when they're old, they won't depart far from it. So when mama and daddy named their baby pure, their baby grew up to be a man who did not walk in purity. Why do you say that? Because he not only was a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. And the Jewish people hated the tax collectors because they knew that their jobs were crooked because the tax collectors worked for the man. They worked for the government. They worked for Rome. And the Jewish people detested the Roman people because they felt like they were being oppressed by the Roman people. Here they are in their city that God had promised to David, given to David and promised to Abraham, and they are under the heel of someone else. Now, they don't really want to revisit history well to realize that they are the tail in this moment and not the head because of their disobedience. They don't want to go that far back in history, but they're just upset that they're under the tyranny of Rome. 
So when somebody works for the government to tax the people, the Jews felt like you were traitors. And they not only knew that you were a traitor in their eyes, but they knew that you were a thief. Because as you work for the government to get their base tax from the people, the tax collectors would charge over the base tax in order to pad their own pockets. And you couldn't argue against them because they had the government backing them up. And so therefore, the people didn't trust the tax collectors because they were all riding around with uh, chariots that had spinners on them and all that stuff. So, so they knew they were doing something. You're making a whole lot of money off the backs of the people. And this man was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So that meant he had other folk working for him. So Zacchaeus was the man as far as worldly standards are concerned. He's like the neighborhood drug dealer who, let me go on. But, but anyway, <laughs> he's rich. And the people know that he's rich because he has been fleecing the people as a chief tax collector. So they resented him. Mama and daddy named him pure, but he grows up and he takes a job. He takes a career that is not pure, that doesn't help his people, that hurts his people. But I'm so glad that there's still more to the story. And I don't know, Matt, what, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you've been going through. Uh, you may have a child that you have been raising in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but they have veered off and, and they don't represent the Lord that you raised them to know. I just want to encourage you. Uh, uh, God may not come when you want him to come but we got to believe that he's right on time. And we got to trust the seed that we planted in our children that although they may have strayed, they're not going to stray too far, that at some point God's going to bring them back. We don't know when we're going to keep on praying because there's more to the story. If we just stop at verse 2, we would think that Zacchaeus had no hope, but there is a verse 3. And I just want to tell some parent. I want to tell somebody that's living in sin. You're not living up to what you've attained in Christ. I'm here to tell you there is a verse 3. You've got to stop. You've got to come out of the darkness. This thing has got to change because God has his hands on you. So it says in verse 3 that he sought to see who Jesus was. So this rich man who was a chief tax collector, not living up to the name that his mama and daddy gave him, he wanted to see Jesus. Where did that desire come from? It had to come from God because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, no one understands and no one seeks after God. We can't seek after God because we're dead in our sins and in our trespasses. So God must seek after us, touch our hearts to want him. So the reason why he is seeking Christ, he's a seeker, is because God has touched his heart. And maybe, just maybe, God is allowing the circumstances to unfold whereby Zacharias is, Zacchaeus rather, is sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because that money that he has can't fill that void in his soul. That stuff that he's doing on the side to appease his flesh and hanging out with this crowd, there's still an emptiness in him. And he's been hearing about this way maker, this wonder work. He's been hearing stories not only about how Jesus does great things, but Jesus also has this way of hanging out with outcasts in the society. So he's heard enough of the good news God is touching his heart so that when he hears that Jesus is coming that way, he's like, I've got to see him. But he couldn't see him because of the crowd. Why? For he was of short stature. So he was a short man. So he couldn't see. The crowd was in front, just like a parade going by. He couldn't see all the commotion. People, Jesus traveled with an entourage many times. And watch this, the closer he got to the cross, the smaller those crowds became. But he traveled with an entourage, so it was a big thing to do when he was coming into your area because he just healed some blind people in chapter 18. Man, good news is just following this man. So, so it's like a parade, and when you're at a parade and you're short and you cannot see, 
And then if people don't like you, they ain't going to step aside and let you see. They don't like you, Zacchaeus, because <laughs> you done robbed these folks. They ain't going to make room for you to see. And so what does he do? Because he understands money, there's some ingenuity in this man. So he decides to run ahead in verse 4 and climb up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Some of us may have stopped at, I can't see because of the crowd. I'm going home. No, remember at, at parades, you would sit up on top of something, on top of a mailbox, get on top of your father's shoulders, because you were going to see. You weren't going to take no for an answer. And this man says, I'm going to see him for myself, even though other people are standing in the way. Church, let me just stop here for a minute and drop something in for free. This is, just, this is for free right here. There are some lost people who can't see Jesus accurately because the church is in the way. And, and, and they, they can't see him well because all they see are our backs. And they can't see the face of the Lord. And they don't even see our faces because we won't turn around and show love to them in the name of Jesus. So there's some people that don't even know Jesus, don't want Jesus because of the church getting in the way. I'm so glad it ain't this church here. Can somebody say amen? amen. Lord have mercy. So he's short. He's short. But he, is, he has ingenuity. And he climbs a sycamore tree. And this is something that is undignified for a man to do. Number one, he ran ahead. And for a man to run in that day, he would have to lift up what would be known as the skirt. He would have to lift it up and run, meaning that he's bearing his legs. He's running. Men don't do that in that culture. That, that's undignified. And then on top of that, he's going to climb a tree. Men did not do that during that time. But he had this desire to see the Lord. And when you want to see Jesus, you're willing to risk uh, looking undignified to the crowd. When you are desperate to see the Lord, you stop wondering and worrying about what other people think because you've got to get to him. And I'm here to let you know, sometimes we can't find Jesus unless we do some stuff we've never done before. Sometimes we can't find Jesus unless we're willing to step out of the box and be undignified. He wouldn't have found Jesus if he didn't step out of the box had he stayed behind the crowd. But no, he stepped out. He acted in an undignified manner. He was no longer sophisticated when he climbed that tree. And I just wonder, what's our problem? We're too dignified to want to see Jesus. We're too cool to want to see Jesus. But when I travel the world, and especially when I go to countries that the road systems are not as well as our road systems. I know we got some major potholes around here, but what about not having a road? What about not having a car? Around here, we got churches on every corner, and we still have excuses for why we can't get to church. But when you go to remote places where there is maybe one church in a span of 100 miles, uh, what people do because they got to get there, they will walk miles to get to church. I've seen this in Ghana. I've seen this in Malawi. People will walk to get to church to see Jesus. And they will walk if it's hot outside. They will walk if it's raining outside. But what's our excuse? A lot of times we just don't want to press in that hard to see Jesus. But even when we do get into his house, we're too dignified to experience Christ. Because what if the Holy Spirit says, raise your hand? What if the Holy Spirit says, I dare you to run right now? What if the Holy Spirit says, shout? What if the Holy Spirit says, dance? Oh, no, Lord, I can't do that. We're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're too dignified when God says, let it go. Uh, uh, when, when, when my man was preaching in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was preaching to the Jews. He said to the Jews, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And I pray that when the Holy Spirit, is, and he says, sing, and some of us don't want to sing. When he says, lift your hands and give me glory, I just saved you from a car accident. I just saved you. Lift your hands and give me glory in the house. Oh, no. If the pastor says the altar is open, that's too undignified. People think I got it all together. 
Let's run it back. The church isn't for people who got it all together. <laughs> the church is for people who don't have it all together, but we know the one who holds it all together. That's us. We come in here broken. And at times, man, we need to fall before God and be undignified sometimes. There are times when Jesus will only meet us when we've been undignified. What do you mean? When I became a Christian, I became a Christian by doing something that was undignified. I went to a Christian camp. My friends didn't do that where I grew up. They hardly ever went to church. So when I was asked to come to a Christian camp, I stepped out and went to the camp. Now, my motives were not pure. I was going to the camp to see the girls. But God will use the girls to bring you to his glory. Because they tricked us at the camp. They separated the guys from the girls. So now I'm sitting up in classes with dudes listening about Jesus. And for the first time, because there were no distractions, I understood why Jesus came and why Jesus died. I never knew it before, but at that camp, some undignified dudes from my neighborhood didn't go to no Christian camps in the woods. (laughs) But that's where I met Jesus, at a camp at the age of 15. But it didn't stop there. I started visiting a college in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I felt the Spirit of the Lord calling me to that place, but I didn't want to go because none of my boys would ever go to Lynchburg, yet alone to a Christian college. Uh, but but I, I decided to leave the crowd and do what was undignified for my community and go to Lynchburg and go to a Christian school. And that's where God called me to preach. That's where I met the woman who would be my wife. And I met friends who would be with me, who are still with me to this day. Did some undignified. And then when it came time to come to Nashville, coming to Nashville was undignified. When I was in Baltimore, it was one thing to go to Virginia. Now, Lord, you're sending me to Nashville? All I knew about Nashville was from Hee Haw. Roy Clark and the lady with the price tag on her hat. I didn't know nothing about Nashville. I said, Lord, you're sending me where? Mm. Well, my record company was here, and that's what got us here. Other than that, I wasn't coming here because this was too unconventional for your boy. But God had a plan, and I met Jesus in an unconventional place. And then when God said, uh, we're going to move Strong Tower from Franklin into Nashville. That was unconventional. Like, Lord, what, what are you doing? I'm here to say, if you just keep on doing what you've always done, you're going to keep on getting what you've always got. Every now and then, because some of y'all coming to this church has been unconventional. It's non-denominational. It ain't AME. It ain't Presbyterian. It ain't Baptist. It's just a bunch of people who love Jesus, who span every hue in the kingdom. We love the Lord. It's not a denomination. And some of y'all have been catching some flack for that. But that's okay. Sometimes you got to do what is unconventional. And I'm here to let you know, when you do what's unconventional, the Lord will meet you in that place of unconventionality. Because when Zacchaeus did what was not known to be done, Jesus saw that, Jesus acknowledged that, and Jesus met him there. How do you say that, Pastor? Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him. So Jesus looks up and he sees him. I'm here to let y'all know Jesus sees you today. You may not think he sees you, but watch this. Normally we think of God as sitting on high and looking down low, and yes, he does. But because Jesus suited up and came into the game and not only became a human, but became a slave of a human and he washed his feet, he looks up to us from a lowly position because he's a servant like that. He honors you like that. So from the ground, the God who normally sits high and looks low is on the ground looking up at one of his sinful, broken, empty creations. Jesus sees him. 
and then Jesus calls him by his name. He says, Zacchaeus, uh, can I ask you a question? How did Jesus know this man's name? <laughs> I just told you about some of his humanity. Now you just got a glimpse at his deity. Because as God, he knows everything. Not everything. He knows everything. He knows everything about you and about me. Like Israel sings that song, he knows my name. He not only knew this man's name, making it personal. And I bet Zacchaeus was like, who told him what my name was? No, no, he knew your name, and he also knows your game. He knows what you've been running on, folks, what you've been doing that's illicit and wrong, how you've been robbing people, but that doesn't stop him from calling your name because he loves you. And where your sin abounds, his grace and his love superabounds. His love is unconditional. Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down, for today I must stay at your house. That's unconventional. It's unconventional that he stopped, that he looked up, called this man's name, knew this man's name, and then says to this man, I'm going to come to your house today. Why is that unconventional? Because in this part of the world during this time, you had to be invited to people's homes. You could not invite yourself that was just against the custom of the day. So when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, he was being unconventional because had it been conventional, Zacchaeus would have said, I want you to come to my house. But Zacchaeus ain't thinking about moving this narrative inside. He just wants to see Jesus. But Jesus has more than just seeing him on the outside. Jesus says, I got to meet you on the inside. So guess what? I'm coming into your house. I'm coming into your life. He invites himself in. Now, Zacchaeus had a choice. He could have said, no, nah, Lord, that's too much, too soon, too fast. But because he was hungry for God, he was desiring God. Verse 6 says, so he made haste and came down. I wonder if he jumped off the limb or if he climbed down. He received him joyfully. Yeah. And isn't that what happens when we answer the call of Christ? We, we receive him with joy. But can I point out verse 17? But when they saw it, who is they? But when they saw it, the crowds, the people, especially the religious folks, when they saw it, they all what? Complain. They criticize, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. In other words, we don't do that around here. Why is he doing that? He's going to eat with a sinner because in that culture, when you ate with someone, it was a sign that you had accepted that person. You were in agreement with that person. So Jesus would often sit down with sinners, much to the chagrin of the religious community, because Jesus did not come to be sought Jesus came first to seek and to save the lost. He came on a mission to come after sick people, after blind people, after prostitutes, after thieves, after sinners, which all of us are if we can admit it. If we can't admit it, then we won't get healed by Jesus. We won't get helped by Jesus. And so the crowd, they are criticizing him. And I learned from Jesus that to be an effective leader, you must know when to ignore the voice of your critics. Listen to me now. A lot of us are so driven by what other people say that we don't do what God's called us to do. Because we're, we're more afraid of them than we are of disappointing God. But when you follow God, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to ignore the voices of the critics saying, why are you doing that? Why are you going there? Why are you marrying him? Why are you doing that job? Why are you going to that church? He's called you where? To the mission field? People got a whole bunch of opinions about your life. But check in with the one who's the author and finisher of your faith before you allow what people say to affect your life. 
And sometimes you've got to ignore the crowd. Every now and then you talk to them. We see Jesus talking to his naysayers. Sometimes you've got to answer a fool. But don't waste, waste too much time there. Because you can't convert a Pharisee through a debate. <laughs> oh, that's too much. I, I said too much right there. You can only convert a Pharisee through love and by them watching. What makes you think Nicodemus, why did he come meet with Jesus? Because he saw something different about him. And last week, Joseph of Arimathea, they came out because of the love of Christ compelled them. Not necessarily an argument that won them. And so there's a time you answer the fool. And then there are other times you don't answer the fool. And right here, Jesus said, I ain't paying y'all no mind. Because this is why I came. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Now watch the change here. There's a transition that's going to occur now in verse 8. Now we're going to see this narrative move inside. Uh, 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 verse 8 is going to let us know that they're now in this man's house. So, so before I even get into verse 8, let me use my sanctified imagination here because they're going to jump deep into some conversation in verse 8. But before you get to that deep place in verse 8, some conversing happened between verses 7 and 8 in the house. Jesus goes into the house of a chief tax collector, which many of the Jews, they, they thought that that was unconventional and disgusting, that he would do that. So Jesus is in there talking. And I say to myself, what were they talking about? Because Zacchaeus is about to make some serious claims here in a minute. What led him up to that place? I have to believe Jesus was sharing the good news with Zacchaeus. The good news that he was the Messiah who came to save sinners. And yeah, 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 good doctrine, necessary, got to have the truth. But here's what I also think happened in my sanctified imagination. When Jesus traveled like that, he traveled with his boys, his disciples, so when he went to stay in his house, because this man was a rich man, so his house was big enough not only for Jesus, but also for his 12 disciples. So as they're in this rich man's house and Jesus shares the good news, I got to believe Matthew, Levi, a former tax collector, started sharing his testimony. Let me tell you what this man did for me. He didn't look at my sin. He looked at my soul, and he loved me. Matter of fact, when I said I want to have a party for this Savior, and I could invite my friends, he came to the party knowing that all my friends were sinners just like me. Let me tell you, Zacchaeus, he the real deal. He loves you, man. And it's his love that is changing me and not a law that's changing me. So I got to believe Zacchaeus heard Matthew's testimony. So let me go into verse 8 now. So Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, he, he didn't got excited, he testified now. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Look at his proclamation. He says, I'm going to give not to the rich, but to the poor. Why is he going to give to the poor? Because he's been convicted that he's made a whole lot of his money off the backs of the poor. And that he's exploited the poor. Just like rich people still do today, raising poor people's taxes and, and putting stuff on poor people that many times rich people don't have to concern themselves with. Uh, he knew that he targeted poor people, that he went after poor people because if the thing had to go to court, he knew the poor people didn't have the resources to go to court. So many times he just took from the widows. And if a widow couldn't pay her mortgage payment or the taxes on her house, he would gentrify the neighborhood. He would take her house from her. He knew how to exploit poor people. And so the first thing out of his mouth is like, Lord, I'm going to give half of my wealth that I have accrued to poor people because I've gotten so much of my wealth from poor people. And God didn't tell him, uh, let's talk about your money. No, no, we don't see that in the text. 
he started talking about his money on his own because your money is always an indicator of where your heart is with God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because there was a time that money was this man's master. But now Jesus is this man's master. And he's not serving mammon anymore. And the proof, he's willing to give it away. This is different from the guy in chapter 18, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Talking about, I've kept the law, you know. I've done it all right, you know. I've obeyed my mother and father. I've always honored them. I haven't stolen anything. Jesus like, okay, okay. So, so not only are you rich, you're delusional right now because you don't think you're a sinner. Okay, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Yeah. Yeah. You know the story. Homeboy walked away sad because he had a whole bunch of stuff. And Jesus didn't chase him. <laughs> and then Peter stepped up. Lord, what's going to happen to us? We didn't left everything to follow you. And <laughs> I love Pete, man. <laughs> So Zacchaeus stands in contrast because Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Because it's hard to enter the kingdom if you don't need God. Because you can buy what you want. You can do what you want. You don't answer to God. People answer to you because you've got money. So it's hard for rich people to be saved, but that don't mean rich people can't get saved. Boom, Zacchaeus gets saved. And when he gets saved, all of him got saved, including his wallet and checkbook. Oh, wait a minute. Watch out. Don't throw a shoe at me, though. (laughs) This man who liked to speed, and I mean, he just liked to speed. If the speed limit says 55, he's going 85. He just liked to speed. And then when he got saved, oh, man, everything about him changed but speeding. So when the pastor baptized this man... Everything went underwater but his pedal foot. He's like, I just can't take that under the water. I, 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 I ain't ready to surrender that yet. <laughs> and God then got a whole lot of things under the water. He, but that money, that, uh, <laughs> he's a patient God. He's going to get it all under submission. And for Zacchaeus, it didn't take him a few years. It just took him a few moments and he got under the authority of Christ and then he says I'm going to restore let me see here let me read this make sure I don't mess this up I'm going to restore if I have taken and and you can read if in the Greek as since not if since I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation I restore fourfold what is that all about well in the law the law the Jewish law if you stole someone's animal and it died. You were under obligation from the law to restore four animals in the place of the one you stole. And then if you stole someone's animal and it was alive when they caught you, you were to restore not only that animal, animal but two more animals. So he, he, he's talking about the law here. But if you stole someone's merchandise, according to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 5, You had to return their merchandise as well as one-fifth of what the merchandise was worth because the law of God was saying to the Jews, there are consequences and repercussions for your sin. So if you take something, you must restore it back double, even four times, or one-fifth of the amount. So what's going on here? He stole money from people, so the law would say, Give them their money back and one-fifth of the amount. But grace is taking him further than the law could, and he's saying, I'm going to give four times back to the people that I stole from. Because when you're growing in grace, you don't sit around talking about tithes. (laughs) 10%. When you're growing in grace, you grow in the grace of giving, and you become a hilarious giver. You're just glad you can give. So this man is growing in grace. Zacchaeus' willingness to make financial restitution proved that God was more important to him than his money. He decided to act affirmatively towards the people who needed affirmative action. (laughs) He acted affirmatively. Jesus didn't legislate it. 
he compelled him by love. And he acted affirmatively towards people who needed affirmative action. Hang with me. Don't turn me off. Don't change the station. I'm almost done. Salvation in the present does not relieve a person from righting wrongs in the past. You can't say, well, I'm saved now, and all the people I did dirty, I don't need to pay them back. No, there may come a time where you have to pay people back. And Christians, unfortunately, are notorious for owing people money. This is why the church doesn't lend money to people. We just give money to people. Because back in the old days, we used to lend money to folk like we were like a credit agency or something. We, 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 we give you in no interest, but just pay it back. Yeah, I'll pay it back. Then when people stop paying the money back, me and the elders would look at folk real crazy-eyed and stuff like, we gave you the Lord's money, you said you would pay it back, and you haven't paid it back? Because, man, you, you're not being, you're not full of integrity. So we said, you know what, for our own sake, we're not lending people money from God's house. We're just going to give people money. Oh, man. So this guy says, I'm going to do the right thing by people that I exploited. They didn't have to demand justice of him. Zacchaeus demanded justice of himself. I'm going to do the right thing. Nobody's going to make me do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. Why? Because Jesus has changed my heart. He's changed my heart. So for people to go forward, and I'm almost done, they have to make amends with their past. If you're going to go forward, you got to make amends with your past. He didn't just accept greasy grace and not deal with the mess that he made over people. He said, I got grace, and this grace is compelling me to go back and right wrongs that I created and to make restitution with folks. And Jesus didn't stop him. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said in a moment. And so you got to go back. So for a nation to go forward, it has to make amends with the past. If a nation stole other people's land, what does repentance and restitution look like? If you stole some land from some folks. And you're discovering land that already has people living there. And you steal it from them. And you enter into treaties that you break with them. And you exploit them and murder them. As a Christian people, what does restoration and restitution look like? Why are we not asking that question? If a nation stole other people, what does repentance and restitution look like? You stole land, you stole people. And not only did you steal them, but you enslaved them and discriminated against them for 350 years. And then when people like me start speaking about the victimization of what happened, you mistake it and think I'm being a victim. No, I'm not being a victim because I'm calling out the victimization because I know Christ, I am a victor. And because I know Christ, I got to call the lie to the table to meet the truth. I got to expose the darkness with light. I've got to be responsible to preach the whole counsel of the word and not let folk off the hook. What would America be like today if America had worked out something with the natives of the land? What would America be like today if Africans truly did come over here as immigrants and not as indentured servants that became slaves, what would America be like today? Well, it didn't happen that way. It happened another way. And some of the reasons we have problems today is because of what happened in the past. So how do we go back to see what happened and correct what happened so that it has positive benefits for us today? I don't know all the answers, but it won't get fixed if we don't start facing it. Oh, man. Oh, Pastor, you made a hard left on me. I was hanging with you. <laughs> but oppressed people or people who come from oppressed people, we see these things in the text. Dr. Cohn just passed away. He is the, the, the pro, uh, progenitor of the liberation theology. And he's saying that throughout all of the Bible, you see this thing of liberation, of God freeing disadvantaged, poor, enslaved, oppressed people. 
And again, Jesus came to set the oppressed free, the captives free. And if we're following Jesus, should not there be somewhere in our orthopraxy where we're dealing with people who are under unjust conditions? He's growing me that way. I hope he's growing you that way. And this is what led Jesus to make the proclamation. Oh, I close here. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today, today, after what I just heard you say, today, salvation has come to this house. Not just because you prayed a prayer, but because what you're doing is evidence that the prayer worked. The works don't save you of paying back poor people and making restitution. That doesn't save you, but it shows that you are saved. James chapter 2 says, somebody says, I'll show you my faith. And James says, well, I'll show you my faith by my works. Watch my faith by my works. Jesus said today, salvation has come into this house. And then he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So for the critics outside, I need to let you know that what's going on inside, I'm fulfilling my mission statement. I came for people like Zacchaeus, and I came for people like you who know that you're lost and who know that you need to be found. Has Jesus ever made this proclamation over your life? Where he could say about each and every one of us today or at some point, salvation came to Chris Williamson. Oh, oh, salvation came to Dorena Williamson. Has Jesus been able to say that about you? Because our story started on the outside and then it shifted to the inside. And what happened on the inside changed everything on the outside going forward. Because Jesus working on the inside, uh, changing things on the outside is the manifestation of the gospel. And we're all at different places. But I pray that we're all moving in the continuum of grace and discipleship. So as you stand to your feet, I have a question to ask you as I close in prayer. As you stand to your feet. We saw God do the unconventional. And he met a man who was willing to be unconventional. And that man's life was changed. But someone may say, Pastor Chris, would you pray for me to do something unconventional? Pastor Chris, would you pray for me? I am a believer and I feel like God is calling me to seek out lost people. And the people God's calling me to who are on the fringes. Some church people and religious people don't understand who I'm called to. I'm called to walk the streets at night and give roses to prostitutes and share the love of Jesus with them. I'm called to go to the grunge crowd. I'm called to go to the hip-hop culture. I'm called to go to the White House. I'm called to go and reach folk who are lost. I'm called to go to a mission field that is dangerous. As we pray for our president, and as there is a deal going on between North Korea and South Korea, we thank God for what's happening there. But there are folks who are in prison in North Korea because of their faith. And they went into some dangerous territory to share the hope and love of Jesus. And I'm praying that the Lord would set them free through this peace accord that is developing. But they risked it all and they did what was unconventional. We know that their reward is great in heaven, but Lord, we're going to ask that you set them free. God may be calling some of you to do stuff that's never been done in your family to adopt cross-racially, to start a business, to give money away. He may be calling you to do something that doesn't make sense. Pray for me, Pastor. Somebody says, Pastor, the, the crowd's been getting to me, man. I I've been worrying so much about what people say. That's taking more authority over what you say. Pray for me because the crowd's been getting me. Pastor, I've been called to do justice. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it, but this man, Zacchaeus, did justice. And I want to do justice because that's what you tell me to do, to do justice and to love mercy, to walk humbly. Pastor, would you pray for me? 
Pastor, I need to make restitution. I, I, I done did some people wrong. I owe some folks some money in this room. And I ain't paid them back. And I need to do the right thing. And I need to go back and pay my debt. But above all, there may be somebody here saying, I, I, I'm ready to do what's unconventional. I'm ready to meet Jesus. And if he could climb a sycamore tree, I think I can walk up front and meet Pastor Chris and say, I'm ready to meet Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. But I don't want that person coming by themselves. Because there may be somebody else here who says, I am a Christian. But I believe God's calling me to this unconventional church. And I'm going to stop resisting the spirit. And I'm coming now. So, so this altar call, altar call, this unconventional altar call at 2, 12, 1158 is for you. If you need to come because you want to join this church, you want to come because you want to meet Jesus, you want to come because God is calling you to do something unconventional, he's calling you to make some wrongs right, whatever it is, we're going to give you a moment. Now, if you don't come, that doesn't mean God didn't speak. I know he spoke. But somebody says, you know what, I need to seal this in prayer, what he's been saying. So come on, as Kevin plays lightly, come on, I'll pray for you. Come on, I'll pray for you. Come on, come on, I'll pray for you. If you want to join this church, if you need Jesus, if there's a calling on your life to do something different, come on, I'll pray for you. Come on. Let's make it easy. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you need to come, you come on. Your family's praying for you. They're not in the crowd tripping on this transaction. They're in the crowd rooting for you right now. They're praying for you. God wants to break this church of religiosity. There's a slight bit of it here. We're a little puffed up. But when you're broken, you don't care. Those blind men in chapter 18, they were screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the religious folks said, be quiet. Them blind folks said, I'm not going to miss my blessing. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And he gave sight to those men. Strong Tower, we're just praying. We're praying. Come on, anyone, anyone else, come. Daddy, like you knew Zacchaeus' heart, you know, each person's heart at this altar and each person's heart in this congregation. We fall short. We miss the mark. So often we allow a spirit of fear to stop us. But your word is like fire in our bones. Your spirit is greater than any spirit that is in the world. And you're moving us. You're calling us to do justice. You're calling us to make restitution. You're calling us to be champions of grace. You're calling some of us to come to faith. You're calling others to become a part of this community. Lord, sort it out with your people who come encourage their hearts. Thank you that they have an anointing from you that will teach them things that no man can teach. And for those who are coming for salvation today, thank you that you've met them. They've exercised their faith saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. I dedicate my life to you. Thank you, Lord, that before I gave the invitation, you were already working. Would you confirm the things that you're doing. May we respond to your love. And for all of us in this house, Lord, continue to work on us. Show us the kingdom of God. We thank you for church, but we can't even really do church if we don't understand the kingdom of God. Teach us the mysteries of the kingdom, that you are the king and you have dominion over everything, everyone, every realm, every time, every circumstance, every issue, every disease, every problem, every devil. You reign, oh God. Teach us about your kingdom authority. And may those who are at the altar, may those of us who leave this church leave differently than how we came in. Because like Zacchaeus, you're doing something on the inside of us that can't stay on the inside and we go to the outside and we're just beggars who found bread telling other folk 
who the bread of life is. We decrease so that you might increase, oh Jesus. We make ourselves small so that we might acknowledge your greatness. We pray for this community. We pray for this city, this country, this world. Bless your people. Now, unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Does anybody have a praise in their heart? Can anybody give Jesus a hand praise? Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy? Amen. Go and have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. Enjoy this blessed weather. And Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Uh, Awana ceremony on Wednesday night. Our children are being awarded. So come join us on Wednesday night at 630. Our children are being awarded for their Awana semester. <laughs>